This is day 135 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Ecclesiastes chapter 12, then we will move into the Song of Solomon chapters 1 through 4. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we close the Ecclesiastes, Lord, may we walk away from it recognizing that everything is not just vanity. Without you, it is, but with you, it means everything, and this is just the beginning for us. Lord God, may we not squander the few years that we have here on this earth. May we find ways to be undistracted and to pursue you with the whole heart, to do your will, Lord, because you are the source of joy and hope and peace. May we recognize that, Lord. May we wake up in the morning and crave it like our necessary food. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember also your Creator in the day of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle, because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim, and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place, and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home, while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is cut, and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Okay, we are going to begin the Song of Solomon, but if you are listening to this with young readers or you don't think your children are ready to hear this, this is just a disclaimer at this point that you may want to go do this in private 
because while it is biblical and it is beautiful poetry, if you don't feel the maturity level is there with your kids, then this would be the time to turn this off and do this later. So I just wanted to give you some fair warning before we go into it. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore the maidens love you. Draw me after you, and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am black but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am swarthy, for the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretaker of the vineyards. But I have not taken care of my own vineyard. Tell me, O you whom my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock? Where do you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of her companions? If you yourself do not know, most beautiful among women, go forth on the trail of the flock and pasture your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. To me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of beads. We will make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh which lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of En Gedi. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. How handsome you are, my beloved, and so pleasant. Indeed, your couch is luxuriant. The beams of our houses are cedars, our rafters cypresses. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He has brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Sustain me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apples, because I am lovesick. Let his left hand be under my head, and his right hand embrace me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag, 
Behold, he is standing behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is peering through the lattice. My beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines, and the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs, and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your form is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards, while our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies, until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bether. On my bed, night after night, I sought him, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me, and I said, Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely have I left them, when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him and would not let him go, until I had brought him to my mother's house, and into the room of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you will not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. What is this coming up from the wilderness, like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all scented powders of the merchant? Behold, it is the traveling couch of Solomon, sixty mighty men around it, of the mighty men of Israel. All of them are wielders of the sword, expert in war. Each man has his sword at his side, guarding against the terrors of the night. King Solomon has made for himself a sedan chair from the timber of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, and its seat of purple fabric, with its interior lovingly fitted out by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and gaze on King Solomon with the crown, with which his mother has crowned him, on the day of his wedding, and on the day of his gladness of heart. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are! Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes, which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, 
and not one among them has lost her young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields, all the round shields of the mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies, until the cool of the day, when the shadows flee away. I shall go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. May you come with me from Lebanon. Journey down from the summit of Amana, from the summit of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes, with a single strand of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils, than all kinds of spices. Your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride, a rock garden locked, a spring sealed up. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates, with choice fruits, henna with nard plants, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, along with all the finest spices. You are a garden spring, a well of fresh water, and streams flowing from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, wind of the south. Make my garden breathe out fragrance. Let its spices be wafted abroad. May my beloved come into his garden and eat his choice fruits. Congratulations, you completed another book of the Bible. We have finished Ecclesiastes, and now we are in the very romantic Song of Solomon. But before we get there, let's go through what we learned in the end of Ecclesiastes here. So this whole first section, verses 1 through 8, is an illustration of what it's like to get old. And how, and this is all just wordplay, of what it is describing to be the process of aging. So he begins by saying that remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. While you still have your strength, while you still have all your wits about you, while you still have all your faculties, while you are still young and you don't really know what it's like to be a full adult, all the hardships that come with adulthood, love the Lord before that time, from the days of your youth. And then he goes in verse 2, starts describing what it means to get old. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened. That's because your vision is darkened. 
Not necessarily that those things are darkening, but to you they are, because you're getting old. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, you know, when you get old, you start to shake. You can't control yourself as you once did. Mighty men stoop. How often do you see an older man or a woman hunched over? The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. What do you grind? You grind your teeth, and you're losing your teeth. The daughters of song will sing softly because you can't hear them because you're growing old and you're growing deaf. And you get the illustrations on and on and on and on. That's the whole thing up until he concludes with verse 7 that all these things will start to deteriorate and shut down until you return to the dust, meaning you die. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. The writer of Ecclesiastes then concluded with his thoughts of wisdom as well as who he wrote this for. So he mentions in verse 12 that he wrote it to his son. So we don't know who this man is and we don't know who his son is, but he wrote this in order to teach the next generation. And this is important because this is God's way of telling us here that everything that we are learning needs to be taught to the next generation. And we need to, in the process of teaching the next generation, be like it says in verse 10. The preacher sought to find delightful words or pleasing words. Solomon knows that what he was saying is true, and he did not apologize for it, but he merely stated the facts. And that's how we should be as Christians as well. We don't compromise the Bible. We don't negotiate what it says. It says what it says, and that should be that simple. Will that give you trouble today? Oh, yes. People don't want to talk about the lies of transgenderism. People don't want to talk about the lies of abortion, the lies of euthanasia, suicide. All those different things that right now are so exalted and so acceptable, the Bible speaks against them. And in reality, these are delightful words. These are pleasing words, pleasing to God, but they should be pleasing to us as well. Not only that, but it says that the preacher wanted to write words of truth correctly. We do not compromise the gospel. We do not change what the Bible says. We don't have the authority or the right to modify the Bible. If we do, we do it to our own peril. It is a dangerous thing to compromise the Bible. What God has spoken is what he has spoken. Then he says this interesting thought in verse 11. What the words of Solomon were to him. The words of wise men are like goads. Goads were used for animals that, to, in order to keep them on track. They tried to wander off. They tried to deviate from the path that they're supposed to be on. The goads would hurt them a little bit in order to keep them motivated to stay on track. Masters of these collections, he says, are like well-driven nails. Why do we love well-driven nails when it comes to carpentry? Well, when these nails are properly in, like they're supposed to be, then they will anchor us. They will support us, and we will not move in the days of adversity. 
may they be anchors of our soul. Then he says this in verse 12, Be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. Hmm, does that mean that we should not want to read books? What is he saying here? What he's saying is we have to be careful what we are reading. He is warning us here that excessive devotion to literature that is not biblical it can be wearisome because they're going to be writing about things that are not biblical. But I think there's another dimension to this. I think also we have to be careful not to read too many self-help books. And what I mean by that is I think that there's a lot of good literature out there that is supporting the Bible. You know, you have very famous pastors, theologians that write books about the Bible in order to expand things to help better understand themes or particular thoughts within the Bible. And I think those are good to some extent, but they should never replace the Bible. The Bible is the only book that we need. So instead of trying to satisfy yourself through human authors who have been given a level of wisdom that most don't have, we need to be cautious not to replace the Bible with that. Do not trust in human wisdom. Trust in the wisdom of God. That's why it's here. And spend time with him in prayer instead of seeking the will of men. Be very careful with that. And then we end with the final two verses. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is this is the thing that summarizes the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. The literal translation of this, and I believe it's like this in the King James, is this is the whole of man. Meaning, this is exactly what man is all about. This is why we're here on this earth. That is our sole purpose for existence. Fear God and keep his commandments. You want to know why you live right now? That's why. Fearing God and keeping his commandments. And then he reminds us in verse 14 that God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, all of our secret sins, all of our secret motivations, good or evil, they will be brought to the light. Solomon learned to live with this, and what he's showing us is that we need to maintain a proper attitude toward God as well as to the faculties of life. We need to enjoy life with every opportunity we can. Make the most of things. But at the same time, we also need to draw a line as to where our allegiance is with God and not violate his word. He wants us to be obedient to him and yet enjoy his creation at the same time. And it can be done. But God needs to be central in that endeavor. Okay, so when it comes to the Song of Solomon, that's what it's called in my Bible. For some, it may be called the Song of Songs, and some it might be called the Canticles, which 
is Latin for songs. And the reason why we call it this is because it doesn't have an official title, but they attribute these titles because of what verse 1 says. And so that's why it's called that. But we know that Solomon is likely the writer of this because it says in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, that we read a while back, that Solomon wrote over 1,000 songs. And we know that this is about Solomon or concerning him. So there's really no reason why it couldn't be him. It may not have been him, but it, there's no reason why we should doubt it. Now, the purpose of this song has multiple dimensions to this. We have to understand this properly, because if we remember who Solomon is, Solomon was not a devoted husband. How many wives and concubines did he have? If you recall, he had over 140 wives. He had a lot of women in his life. And yet, there's this one that is particularly special to him, this Shulamite woman. Now, is this simply a song of love and marital devotion and just romance? It is to some degree. But the other way we have to understand this book as well is that it is snapshots of God's love for us. It portrays the joys of love and courtship and marriage and this is supposed to counteract, you know, what lust is supposed to be. There is genuine, healthy romance. There is. And instead of trying to go down the road of lust and impurity and defilement before marriage, this is an example of what it's like to properly romance and just to delight in someone. I remember when I was just infatuated with my wife before we got married and we were dating and stuff. And it reminds me of this. It's a beautiful season of life to be in. But it's more than that. What this is trying to do is also teach the truth of God's love for us. How he pursues us. How he wants us no matter what. How he finds us beautiful how he desires us. And so this is in many ways, Christ is Solomon in this illustration. And we are the Shulamite woman as the church. Because like it says in the New Testament that Jesus died for his bride, the church. This is what this is about. And so while it is a historical thing about what Solomon was doing with this woman, and this is, don't you love that about the Bible? How multidimensional it is, how God can use a historical event, but yet he framed it in such a way that is teaching an eternal lesson about something that has not happened yet. I just love how he does that. It's remarkable. He's God, so of course he can do it, but no literature matches it. It's matchless in the way it does that. So while this 
the book is not necessarily explicit and things like that, but it is not for young audiences. It's for the, because they don't either understand what's going on here or their mind is not mature enough to walk away from this and be serious about it. Now, especially in today's world, some of the descriptions of of what each other consider to be compliments may be a little foreign to us. For example, when he calls her in verse 9, chapter 1, to me, my darling, you are like my mare. You're calling her a horse. That may not be very flattering to a woman today, but back then, it, it very much was. Or to say that her neck was like the Tower of David. Or like her nose is really long. You know, not everybody finds that today to be very uh, flattering. So just it's a different time period we need to keep in mind. But uh, this is all meant to be very romantic, very complimentary. So while it may not be exactly what we're dealing with today in terms of what a woman wants to hear, this is what it was back then. So while I'm not going to go too much into each of the chapters and what it's being talked about here, it's overall the same back and forth about what Solomon is saying about the Shulamite woman, what the Shulamite woman is saying to Solomon or to herself, and then every so often you'll see somebody in in between, some sort of a third party being maybe Solomon's harem or the daughters of Jerusalem that are involved in this as well. But overall, it's just kind of like you can imagine Shakespearean style where it's Solomon talking to her directly, but then he'll speak to himself in his heart, like a soliloquy of, of sorts, to kind of explain what's going on within him. So you see that back and forth throughout all the reading today. Chapter 4, though, is where he goes down from the top of her head now all the way down to at least the chest level. But there's going to be later where he goes even further than that to describe her body. But just some things like your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes, for example, which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins. Not one among them have lost her young. She has all of her teeth, and they are white. You know, this little things like that, because back then, you know, they didn't have dentists. They didn't have toothbrushes and stuff, so very different time. And for her to have all of her teeth was remarkable. My Bible is making notes here that this is considered the consummation of the marriage in chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, it's moving to the honeymoon slash post-honeymoon portion of the relationship to where now Solomon is married to this woman and how he is describing her after they have wed. So we have one more day to spend in the Song of Solomon, and then we will go into the book of Isaiah, the longest of the prophets. But it is so full of wisdom and so full of beautiful illustrations of who God is and his love for us. But that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.